The Start On Demand. On demand. The trucker convoy made its way into Ottawa on Saturday. Many of the protesters stuck around on Sunday, and many of them continue to remain in Ottawa. So we got a recap of Saturday. We got some local reaction from Winnipeg, which came on Sunday, and then we spoke to Mercedes Stevenson from Global News to find out what's next. Our mental health series is continuing, and today we focused on hobbies and where have people turned in the pandemic and we asked you quite simply what's your hobby i'm brett mcgarry alongside greg mackling and loren mcnab who was off today we are mackling mcgarry and mcnab this is the monday january 31st podcast for the start Mackling and McGarry. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling. Loren McNabb is off today. And you just heard it in Jeff's newscast, Mr. Mackling. We, and oddly enough, we have a couple of significant things to talk about as it pertains to Cincinnati. So let me just uh, switch the music up here a little bit. A nice little tune to get, it, get us into Monday morning. I like the soft start. Some WKRP in Cincinnati. You shared the news with me yesterday morning, Mr. Mackling. Some sad news as it pertains to one of the most iconic names in radio. No question about it. And I don't know if the guy ever worked a day in real radio or not, but Howard Hessman, who played the DJ Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati, passed away at the age of 81. Hessman also was uh, head of the class, uh, people maybe a little bit younger than I, maybe more your generation. Brett will remember Howard Hessman from head of the class. Uh, he was a, a terrific comedian, but it was sort of ironic that he would pass away when his most famous, well-known part is as Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati the very same day. The Cincinnati Bengals punched their ticket to return to the Super Bowl for the first time in over 30 years. So maybe there's some magic, some poetry in that. The, like. the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. I was excited for that, not because I am a Bengals fan, but one of my buddies, we'll just simply call him Gonzo. He is a huge Bengals fan and every week for the last couple of I guess three weeks now I've been texting him immediately after the game so how are you and <laughs> the response is always the same it's like I can't breathe I can't breathe uh, so he's so excited so we just had that conversation the other day about sports and how important they are to you and like I said I don't have any skin in the game I enjoyed watching the game another right? super exciting NFL contest but to see my friend happy made me happy well, that was part of our conversation on Friday, wasn't it? The idea that oh, I'm not really a sports fan. I know one of our listeners texted in to say, I'm not really much of a sports fan, but it gives me so much joy when my friends see their teams win. I get caught up in that. What makes them happy makes me happy. And one of my boys has really got on the Cincinnati Bengals train because, uh, Brad, it will surprise no one that knows me that I have hoarded over the years and had in my collection a Cincinnati Bengals jersey from about 1988. <laughs> it is a Boomer Esiason number seven jersey, and uh, Alexander wore that jersey uh, yesterday. He predicted that the Bengals would win. He says they've got the best kicker in the NFL. He's a huge Joe Burrow fan, their quarterback, their second-year quarterback, looking to become the first quarterback to ever win the Heisman Trophy, the NCAA uh, Championship, and the Super Bowl. And he's looking to do that all within just over two calendar years. So, uh, yeah, I know lots of people are excited about having an underdog. And then we go 55 years, Brett, without having a home team in the Super Bowl. Last year, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers played on their home field in Tampa Bay. Well, the LA Rams call SoFi Stadium the home of Super Bowl 56. That's their home stadium. So you go 55 years now, two years in a row, you're going to have a home team. 
a pretty incredible stadium, by the way, when I was watching that game last night. I just couldn't. I was, I just, I was more, I think I was paying just as much attention to the stadium as it was to the game. Beautiful. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's an incredible place. It's uh, quite a spectacle itself. And then, of course, conversation already starting. Uh, lots of people anticipating that halftime show. Uh, but we'll have to wait two weeks. No NFL next week. We've got the Pro Bowl, NHL All-Star Game in Las Vegas next week. So it'll be two Sundays from yesterday, Super Bowl 56 in LA, in LA, the Rams versus the Bengals. The dreaded two week wait. I hate that that they make that they go two weeks before the Super Bowl. That's dumb. But um, Bengals, but why do you have a Bengals jersey from 1988? Well, because the, the well, A, they're awesome with those Bengals, those tiger stripes. Yeah. When they went to the uh, Super Bowl the first time in 83, I guess it was against uh, San Francisco, Kenny Anderson and the Bengals, they used to have an orange helmet with the word Bengals across the side. It was a very sad helmet. It was really the second saddest helmet in the NFL next to the Cleveland Browns helmet. It was essentially a Cleveland Browns helmet with the word Bengals written across it. And then they debuted this helmet with the wild tiger stripes and everything. It was very unique. I like the color scheme. Orange is one of my favorite colors. And so I kind of glommed on to the Bengals a little bit. I like the underdog. I like underdog cities. Uh, Cincinnati definitely fits that list. And so Boomer Esiason, Bengals jersey, showed up at my dad's uh, sports show one, uh, store one day, and I said, I will be taking that. Did, doesn't Milt Stiegel have sense. roots in Cincinnati? Did he grow He's up there? from Cincinnati, yeah, absolutely. And Stiegel was a member of the Bengals, wore 84 with the Bengals. Uh, I guess it was just for a part of one season before he went to New Orleans. I might have those teams uh, flipped. But yes, that's uh, the hometown of, of Milt Stiegel, absolutely. And didn't you used to work, or like spend time because of work in Ohio? I sure did. Was it Cincinnati? Yeah. Was Cincinnati, the southern, uh, sort of, southern Ohio Regional Transportation Authority. <laughs> that was one of my big customers when I worked in the, in the bus industry. And so I was in uh, Cincinnati probably as often as I was in Minnedosa for about three years. So, okay. Yeah. So lots of Cincinnati energy today as we celebrate the Bengals and, and lament the passing of Howard Hessman, a.k.a. Dr. Johnny Fever. Also got to mention that coming up at 8.05 today, we will uh, speak to Rob's OBS, Rob Paula, former Environment Canada meteorologist about this Alberta clipper that is heading our way. We just heard in Kayla's weather that it looks like it's going to get nasty tonight in southern Manitoba. And moving from one type of football to the other, exciting times, GMAC, for Canadian soccer. Oh, my goodness. For just the second time, I think it's 37 years, twice that the Canadians have beat the Americans in football on their way to a World Cup berth in Hamilton yesterday in the wind, in the cold. It was an exciting game. Well, it was an exciting result. The Americans sort of were the better team on the day, but the Canadians capitalized on a couple of opportunities, including one in extra time in the 95th minute. So uh, Canada remains undefeated in the CONCACAF uh, qualifying uh, table. So we'll we'll speak with Jeremy Saint-Louis in uh Florida. He's been covering soccer for about three decades now, and and we'll uh, get the lowdown on what ha- needs to happen next for Canada to claim its first World Cup berth since 1986. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. There was a lot to take in over the weekend on the trucker convoy. The main protest is in Ottawa with thousands descending on Parliament Hill on Saturday. Many of them are still there. There were protests across the country as well, including right here in Winnipeg, Greg. Yeah, this comes from the In Case You Missed It file. Global Sean O'Shea put together this report on Saturday, which nicely sums up the various walks of life who took part in the Ottawa protest. You should be embarrassed to be a journalist. That convoy of trucks and thousands of protesters on foot here at Parliament Hill with one message. No, we're looking for freedom. We're looking for freedom. That's the only thing. Every single thing that the that our governments have done, it just keeps on getting worse. I cannot tolerate to see any longer because we're we're not we're not living like we should be. Against government-opposed lockdowns and mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations in workplaces. Some here claiming vaccines are hurting people. 
These adverse reactions are not as rare as the media would like to have us believe. They're not, they don't seem to be working. They're failing. They're ineffective. Most downtown Ottawa businesses remain closed for the protest. Police warned about the risk of violence. I think it's horrible. I think what they stand for is wrong, not backed by science, and shouldn't be in our city. This man, one of a few counter-protesters supporting vaccines, shown in recent data by Canada's top doctors to be overwhelmingly safe and prevent COVID-related death. I mean, I got my jacket ripped. Um, I've been called racial and homophobic slurs all day. Most of the crowd were upbeat. Everybody needs a hug. There was a pop-up arm wrestling match, yet some were wrapped in Donald Trump flags supporting the former U.S. president. I want to see Trump back in 2024. Woo! Of course. He's the best. But mostly... We are standing for our children and for our grandchildren. It is wrong to have masks because children can breathe God-given fresh air. And they say they're not a fringe minority claiming more Canadians share their view than people think. You gotta tell the people the truth! Sean O'Shea, Global News, Ottawa. Once again, that report is just sort of a recap from Saturday. Greg, uh, just quick reaction as we continue after Global News at 6.30. Look, lots of reaction with regards to what happened at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, the soldier, the Terry Fox statue. I know that upset a a lot of Canadians. And then, of course, the Nazi symbolism. It only took 18 minutes, Brett, for us to get a text message this morning connecting us to the so-called Nazi government in power in Ottawa. That's where we're at as a country right now. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. Coming up in our next segment, we want to talk about hobbies and give you a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza because our Global News and 680 CJOB Health Series on mental health continues today. And we're going to discuss at 7.35, we're going to hear a report on hobbies and the benefit they can have on our well-being. But we're going to kickstart that conversation in our next segment. So you can feel free to text us now. What are you into these days? We, we had a conversation recently about hobbies. You know, which one would you li- like to revisit? But in the meantime, what are you up to these days as far as hobbies go? And um, then at 7.07, we're going to continue the chat on soccer. Oh, Canada. Huge victory for Canada over the Americans yesterday. What was the temperature, by the way, in Hamilton, Greg? Oh, it was in the minuses. I want to say it was minus 4, minus 5, minus 11 or 12 with the wind chill and the wind just like it was in the Grey Cup in Hamilton back in December, uh, played a huge role in uh, Canada's first goal. And Jeremy St. Louis will uh, join us. He he covered uh, soccer. He's a Manitoba boy. Grew up in Brandon. Uh, worked for for Fox Sports World in the building that we work in now, or we'd normally like to work in. You're there uh, for years as that Fox Sports World uh, soccer focused uh, programming was based out of Winnipeg for a long time. Jeremy's in Florida now, so we'll get his take on Team Canada. Their chances not only to to wrap things up in terms of getting to the World Cup, but like, should we be getting excited about their chances of maybe making some noise at the World Cup? Right now we want to continue the discussion on the trucker convoy because whether you agree with it or not, support it or not, I think a lot of Canadians had some pretty interesting conversations over this weekend. Yeah, it dominated conversation wherever I was, for sure, Brett. And I didn't go a ton of places, but I was in two places specifically with uh, those that do not live in my household. And I know that there were some demonstrations here in Manitoba and Global's Abigail Turner was on the streets of Winnipeg to get some reaction here. A once taboo topic has put politics front and centre in many Canadians' conversations or social media in the past two years. It is unprecedented. COVID-19 pandemic mandates, health restrictions and vaccine passports. Potentially divisive topics among friends and family, says University of Manitoba's political studies professor, Christopher Adams. Right now, I think a lot of people feel that they are able to express views, even if they aren't. Uh, happy views or or that they might cause problems. For many Winnipeggers, they say this is a polarizing time in Canadian history. I think people need to listen to one another and try to understand one another's point of views. I would just like a little more peace and less contentiousness. It would be nice to just feel 
comfortable again. Everyone's so polarized. It's like this massive, um, um, uh, there's just no, no, common ground. With ongoing protests such as the one in Ottawa involving truckers opposing vaccine mandates, experts say a green light has been given to people to express their political beliefs, including extremists or fringe views. Many people have held these views over the past many years, but haven't felt right in expressing them. But I think now people feel more comfortable uh, expressing these things. But it isn't the first time Manitoba has seen political unrest, particularly in 1980 during the French language crisis. There was a lot of like very negative views expressed about French language and uh, about the NDP. We had a we had a bomb go off at the at the Franco-Manitoban offices in, on Provence. Regardless of the topic, many Winnipeggers say the divide is exhausting. When you identify yourself as either a conservative or as a, as a liberal, people all of a sudden start using these derogatory labels, you know, and I, I find it's it's just so appalling as a Canadian. Abigail Turner, Global News. I have such mixed reactions about uh, what transpired over the weekend. There's no doubt that some some bad seeds uh, were present, you know, there's desecrating the Terry Fox Memorial, the, the the tomb of the unknown soldier, people's, you know, cheering and drinking there and, and urinating on it. And we had people demanding food from homeless shelters and the Nazi flags and the Confederate flags, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we also know that there were a lot of good people. We heard some peop- uh, people in the Sean O'Shea report last half hour. One person said, I'm just here to spread joy. And that person, by the way, was dressed in a panda costume, uh, which is part of the visuals that would not translate on the radio. And we even have somebody who's texting us this morning who's there right now who says that we have people on site cleaning up garbage, clearing ice and packed snow off the walkways, uh, trying to raise funds for the homeless shelter. So... On one hand, you've got these bad seeds, and then on the other hand, there are some good, normal, hardworking Canadians there, Greg. Um, so I, <laughs> I just—it was a lot to absorb over the weekend. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom, freedom to demonstrate and to speak your mind. Obviously entrenched in the Canadian Constitution, it's something most Canadians hold extremely dear. I know I do. And so I always find it tragic when the actions of a handful of people derail the the story, derail what's going on. And I can't imagine that the organizers are necessarily thrilled about that either, because that's where our eyes go. That's where we start to, you know, that's where the communication starts to break down. And Abigail mentioned something in that report. Our ability to converse about things that we disagree about has almost disappeared. It's come to a point where you don't even want to bring up a topic in a group of people that you don't necessarily know where they stand. And I think that's so unfortunate. We can learn so much from one another when we're willing to take that that opportunity and we're willing to try and find some common ground and to understand why one another feels the way they feel. But the conversation has become disjointed, it's become divisive, and it's sometimes impossible to have those discussions without it turning into either an argument or discussion that you plain and simply need to walk away from. It, it, makes, me, it makes me sad uh, for a, a very simple word to describe my feelings about our inability to do that. Getting all kinds of feedback at 204-780-6868. As Greg mentioned, uh, we've been uh, compared to, or we, what did they say, that we fall into the Nazi government? Uh, so we're getting from that side, and we have another text here from somebody who says, I am a trucker. I have had all my COVID shots and the booster. I have listened and followed all the rules. I am a single guy working to make an honest living and yet got held up for five hours combined going south and northeast or north last weekend at the Emerson border. Lost five hours on my logs because... Because of these rebels, I could go on and on, but some people are just born troublemakers. I have a lot of faith in modern science. But right now we want to talk about hobbies, specifically just what are you into these days? What's your hobby? What do you do to pass the time? Maybe if you, even if, you know, the things that you do, you wouldn't classify them as your traditional hobby. Whatever. What do you do for fun? What do you do for relaxation? 204-780-6868. Tell us a story. 
for a chance to win Santa Lucia Pizza $20 gift card. Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? Well, no surprise, Brett. My couch potato cohort at uh, my hobby, if we want to call it that, is just watching TV and movies. And uh, this weekend, I passed the time. I watched half a season of Seinfeld and uh, both the Timothy Dalton James Bond movies. It was quite enjoyable. Oh, yeah, the Timothy Dalton. Which ones were, they, what were yeah, they, those ones called? Yeah, Cruise Room. Uh, the Living Daylights, which is the best title in the entire James Bond series, and License to Kill. Oh, yeah, that's right. I like Timothy Dalton. Uh, he was fantastic. He was a good Bond. He was a good Bond, yeah. And he was fantastic in the movie Hot Fuzz. Um, that He was just priceless in that one. Good <laughs> good, good job, for Mr. Braun. Um, uh, Portress. I'm uh, huge into Tetris right now. I'd actually say that I'm obsessed with Tetris. Uh, I, I even got like a new... F- fancy version on my playstation i've been playing that as well um i i also love movies i'm i've been into classic films lately like trying to build up my repertoire uh i guess some of the highlights i watched recently a raging bull mean streets some scorsese movies i watched rear window um uh alfred hitchcock some akira uh akira kurosawa films uh the treasure of the sierra madre with uh, humphrey bogart was fantastic Black and Holy white picture. Uh, some some like it hot. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, hilarious, hilarious movie. Um, and I've been like just like in depth into Stanley Kubrick. I've been watching his films. Two thousand one of Space Odyssey. I'd seen it before, but I didn't understand it. I didn't like it, and I just watched it recently. And I was just like, oh, it was like unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, I've been rewatching the Lord of the Rings as well uh, as I prepare for the new uh, Amazon show coming up. So I, I'm, but I'm just as a, as a disclaimer, I'm preemptively absolutely hating the new Amazon show uh, because I'm too, I'm, I'm, I, I'm too vulnerable to be crushed. So if I already hate the show, how can I be disappointed? So <laughs> Those expectations under, I hope, low, yeah. Uh, I, I hope you understand my logic. So I hate the show. It's the worst show ever. They never should have made it. <laughs> and that's where I stand right now. <laughs> I love it. Forte, uh, what about you? Yeah, I'm I, excited for it. I like to uh, clean, and then I like to walk. <laughs> it's what I do. That's what I did on Saturday. That's how I spent my Saturday. <laughs> I was at home, and I was cleaning. I cleaned on top of the cupboards, on top of the fridge. I cleaned the bathtub, and then I went for a walk. I shouldn't laugh. I'm not making fun. It just it caught, that caught me off guard. Like, what are you? What's your hobby? That's my I hobby. like to clean. Yeah, there's nothing better than coming home to a clean place. It's very comfortable. <laughs> He's right. I, it's been a couple of weeks since I vacuumed, and every time I look at it, I go, "Yep, that's an actual tumbleweed that's forming in the corner." But <laughs> a couple of weeks. <laughs> am, am I do? Oh, at least you got to get on that. Yeah. How often do you vacuum for it, Jay? At least once a week. Uh, I usually, uh, my front door area, I do that every day because all the gravel and rocks you bring from outside, it's incredible. Yeah. There's so many of them. Mackling. Oh, boy. Well, sports and travel have been my hobbies for a long, long time. So the pandemic has sort of gotten in the way of of both those things at different times. So uh, I'm doing my best to keep up on the Jets, of course. They won on Saturday afternoon. Uh, When they lose, you know what kind of a mood that puts me in. So, uh, you know, there's a fine line between hobby and fanaticism. <laughs> I would say I'm, I'm very much on, on the uh, not good side of that line. And listen, uh, I also have been uh, doing my best to catch up to the couch potatoes on a few things. I went heavy, heavy into uh, catching up and making sure I was ready for Ozark and the first half of season four, I rewatched that. I've made much noise about that. And now I'm watching a show that I should have watched years ago, Better Call Saul. I can't believe I hadn't watched it before. I absolutely love it. Uh, thanks for thanks for all these years of people talking about it. i finally getting around to watching it. Excellent show. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. What, what are you into these days? What hobbies are you into? <music> Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. Bob Irving is going to join us at 835 for our weekly sports chat. And no doubt one of the things we'll be discussing is the Canadian men's national soccer team, which secured its fifth consecutive World Cup qualifying victory yesterday afternoon after topping the United States 2-0 in Hamilton.
Yeah, playing under a mostly sunny sky. The temperature at kickoff was minus 6 degrees Celsius. Felt like minus 11 with the wind chill. Kyle Laren brought the vocal crowd of 12,000 fans at Tim Hortons Field to their feet by scoring in the seventh minute, blasting a right-footed strike into the left side of the goal past American keeper Matt Turner. When the smoke cleared, Canada had come away with a 2-0 win over the U.S. and finds themselves atop the table of the CONCACAF World Cup qualifier. Jeremy San Luis is Manitoban, living and working in Florida. He's been covering the beautiful game for longer than he'd probably care to admit. He covers sports for CBS. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, guys. Canada defeats the U.S. on the men's side for just the second time in 37 years. Canada, 22 points in the run to the three automatic World Cup regional spots. What does this mean on the road to World Cup, Jeremy, and and what's the clinching scenario? Well, basically what it means is we're we're pretty much there. Canada's pretty much there, and there's a lot of reason to be excited. Um, So being top of the group, obviously, is is massive for Canada. And in terms of clinching, there was a scenario that we could have clinched this qualifying window on Wednesday with a win over El Salvador, but we needed Panama to not get more than a point versus Jamaica or Mexico in their qualifying games. But they came back yesterday and beat Jamaica, so that means that it pushes Canada's qualification to the March window. They have a game against Costa Rica to open that window on the 24th of March, and basically Canada's looking at needing between 26 and 28 points to secure qualification. If they beat El Salvador on Wednesday, I mean, they've already beaten them 3 nothing. If they beat them again, that puts them at 25, which means that game against Costa Rica is a game that could see Canada clinch their place. Now, Costa Rica's fighting for uh, probably the playoff spot with Panama because the top three go in, but the fourth-place team will go into an intercontinental playoff. So Costa Rica and Panama still have a lot to play for, and Canada plays both of those teams in the next qualifying window at the end of March, the final qualifying window. Their final game, qualifying game, is against Panama on the 30th of March. What are the genuine possibilities for this Canadian team in terms of international success? You know, I think that this team is it is one of the stories of world soccer right now. Not just North American soccer, world soccer. People around the world are taking notice of what this Canadian team is doing and what John Herdman has done with this team. Is this team good enough to win the World Cup? No, it's not. Is this team good enough to get to the semifinals in Qatar? No, it's not. But is it good enough to get out of the group stage? I think it absolutely is. I think a team that, that wins CONCACAF, which is a real possibility for Canada, is a team that should be good enough to get out of the group stage in Qatar. Now, remember, we were there in 86. I mean, there's a generation of Canadians that don't know that this team has gone to the World Cup in 1986. We went three and out. We played three games, lost them all, didn't score a goal. Uh, we were there basically for some sightseeing in Mexico. And I think this team is a team that can get out of the group. But it, it, it's obviously going to depend on the draw. If you get drawn with, you know, some of the world's biggest teams, if you get drawn with like an Italy or a Belgium or an England, something like that in your group, it's going to be tough for you. But, it, I mean, in 86, we had the Soviet Union, the Hungary, and France, I think we were with. And so that was, a, that was tough for us to get out of there, and we didn't. But I have a real belief in this team, and so do they. They have a belief in themselves that they can get, to, you know, that they can do well at the World Cup and certainly set the stage for 2026. Am I exaggerating if I call Alfonso Davies one of the top soccer players on the planet, Jeremy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He is absolutely one of the top soccer players on the planet. And you talk about a kid who loves playing for Canada. I mean, he can't. He didn't play in this. He can't play in this qualifying window. But he's streaming the game on Twitch and reacting to it yesterday. It was one of those viral things. And and just from watching him, you get a sense of just how together this team really is past Canada teams that we've had some talented teams but this is the most talented Canadian roster we've had and, and a lot of credit goes to John Herdman for bringing this team together he has really done a job I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's been able to do with this Canadian team you say that he, he was unable to play what, what was the deal there well, he's, he's just he's just he's he's got an injury that he's that he's dealing with, and and so you know you don't want to take that risk with him. And there's a hope that at least in the he'll be healthy in the next window, which is great because he's going to be you know obviously he's a player that you want to have if you've got one of the best players in the world you want to have him on your team. And so you know it's uh, he'll be there for the next qualifying window, fingers crossed, and and you know we'll move forward from there. 
Jeremy, those uh, weather conditions yesterday were far from what uh, certainly what the Central American teams are used to. Uh, the United States probably weren't happy about it either. Should Canada continue to do this with their home games as opposed to maybe camping out at BC Play Stadium and playing indoors? Should they be playing in these winter-like conditions? Is it fair for the other teams? And should it be? I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. I, I, I think that there's a, you know, the weather's weather. I mean, you know, not to cross sports, but Bill Belichick said, look, the weather's the weather. We play the opponent. We don't play the conditions. And so when it comes to something like that, Canada has to go and play in conditions down in, you know, Central America. And it's, and it's not easy. I mean, if you talk to any Canadian players, they'll tell you it's not easy to go down there. It's not just the conditions, it's the crowds as well. I mean, Canadian crowds are, are probably uh, very reserved in comparison to what I've heard from some of the players that have to go down to Central America and play some of those teams in CONCACAF. So I think everything evens itself out at the end of the day. Is it ideal for those teams to come up here and play in the snow? No. Is it a competitive advantage? Yeah, there's a competitive advantage in it, but... Uh, you know, I think that it all evens out at the end of the day. Jeremy St. Louis, Manitoban, living and working in Florida, covering the beautiful game for a long time, and we love your insight. Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much, guys. Go Canada. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. We are giving away that $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your hobbies. What are you into these days? We're asking you to text us at 204-780-6868. And I'm seeing uh, at least one listener is, wow, great work on putting together car models. Do you see these pics, yes. GMAC? Yeah, I asked for the pictures because this listener, and sorry, I don't have the listener's name. I, I should ask for that, uh, says that uh, he or she is uh, into building car models and that they travel to the United States for competitions oh i said well i'd need to see the pictures of these and well they are absolute works of art so thank you to that listener for sharing that so intimately and uh the, the cars are outstanding that's a blue uh ford mustang there with a white stripe I, I i'm a car enthusiast but i don't know all my models and and years and all that looks like a, a late 60s mustang and then judy sent us a picture of her incredible needle point work over the past year she says i took up needlepoint again and made christmas ornaments for my family i found that having to concentrate on the detail of the pattern uh, took my mind off all the negative issues out there thank you for that judy that's great perspective as well judy sometimes a hobby can just help you clear your mind because uh there's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> in the world and sometimes it can be hard to just shut it down Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to speak with Global's Mercedes Stevenson. She is in Ottawa, and she says uh, her street is shut down. So she's pretty much right there. Uh, so she can give us the latest on what is happening as protests continue in the nation's capital. We are going to learn more about this Alberta Clipper that's coming our way after Global News at 8 o'clock. We will speak with Rob Zobbs, Greg Mackling. Yeah, Rob Paula, former Environment Canada meteorologist. He has one of the best follows in Winnipeg Twitter at Rob's R O B S O B S Rob's Obs uh, for all the latest weather, the upcoming weather, and historical, which is why really I follow Rob and why we like to call on him because we know heading into this winter there were calls for a hundred centimeters of snow or more if we were going to have any chance of closing and and reducing this moisture deficit we have in manitoba after one of the driest if not the driest 24 months in our history and so we'll talk to rob and find out are we making a dent in this moisture deficit is the spring looking good for farmers because we know this is a big part of our economy we also know manitoba hydro is being impacted by the lack of water in our rivers and lakes. So lots of uh, points of discussion with Rob coming up after 8 o'clock. And Bob Irving is going to join us at 8.35 for our weekly sports chat. Another crazy weekend for sports, so we can't wait to talk to Bob. Now, the Global News and CJOB Health Series, presented by Body Measure. 
The pandemic has seen most Canadians forced to spend more time inside, and for many, that means time spent away from friends and loved ones. But for others, Brett, being inside has become a bit of a refuge, a place where they can do things they would have never done before, take up activities or reconnect with others they forgot all about. Global's Dave Woodward has a look at how hobbies have impacted our world. From sourdough starter to model train layouts, hobbies have suddenly become a greater part of our lives during the pandemic. And it's easy to see why. It's felt like coming home. Nadia Alam is a family physician in Georgetown, Ontario. She says she used to paint more when she was younger, but that when she started practicing medicine, it kind of fell by the wayside. But then COVID-19 happened, and Nadia says that she was looking for some sort of outlet. It came out of this moment of crisis for me where it was a combination of work stress and personal stress and family stress all kind of colliding all at once and out of that i I turned in desperation to painting i started running too um and and between the two i started finding my footing again she says painting helps her express herself in a way that words can't pictures or visual media like like painting, like photography, like sketching, and like anything else that's visual, including mainstream media, has a different way of telling a story. And in some ways, it resonates at a deeper level in ways that you can't describe with words, right? And I can't remember who said it, but they, someone said that language sometimes creates more confusion, more misunderstandings and isn't as clear as you think it could be, painting, I find, is clearer. But not everyone is starting from scratch. John Johnston is into model railroading. I started model railroading in the late 60s. For him, it's been a lifelong fascination. I'd always enjoyed trains ever since I was a kid back in Scotland. We used to ride on the train. Families didn't have cars in Scotland. Train travel was the primary way of getting around. However, the hobby of model railroading isn't like painting, according to John. He says it's meant to be a social event. Model railroading uh, tends to be a social activity which you get involved in with either a club, 20 or 30 other people, or in a small group, two or three other people. And the socialization part is as much a part of the hobby as actually building the models and running the the models. And The pandemic has put a bit of a crimp in that. However, John says the social aspect of the hobby hasn't been completely lost by the pandemic. In the case of uh, railroad enthusiasts, uh, the prototype that we model is outdoors. And so we've still had the opportunity to get out socially distanced and uh, go watch our favorite trains and, and still meet in that manner. John's dedicated at least half of his basement to a train layout with dozens of model trains, landscapes and stations. He says model railroading for him is a way to get away from the grind of life for a while. It's something that you can enjoy and simply pass some time. And from a medical standpoint, he's not far off from the point of hobbies. Dr. Renata Vallejas, the incoming psychiatric chair at the Ontario Medical Association. Hobbies can serve as a coping mechanism during times of stress. They can help distract people, shift the mindset, avoid them getting caught in these loops, especially when there's so much negative information that feels like it's coming through with regards to ever being able to be on the other side of this global experience. She says no, she wouldn't prescribe taking up a hobby to deal with stress brought on by the pandemic, but it's not a bad suggestion. Hobbies can have a role in just changing up the daily grind, so to speak. And that can be very helpful in terms of the pathways in in our brain. Uh, in terms of bringing a little bit of variety. But for some, hobbies are not only a way to help deal with the stress of the pandemic, but they can unlock things that we didn't know we could do. I didn't realize how much meaning I would get from painting when I started. I knew that I loved it because I had loved it before. Um, But I didn't realize what it would tap within me. 
for the 2022 Health Series. I'm Dave Woodard. That's great for people to be uh, getting something positive out of some of the unfortunate circumstances and the and some of the restrictions that have uh, you know forced some people to to be home a lot more than they would like to be. So you know this is uh, rediscovering uh, either something from our youth or, or something new altogether it has been uh, a really kind of a I don't want to use the word bonus, Brett, but that's sort of the. The feeling that I'm getting, it's sort of been an unintended consequence on the good side of, of the pandemic. And one of the things that I've come to realize is this is, this is a, shouldn't sound like a hobby, but usually what ends up happening in the winter is uh, because I can't go out and, and obsess over my my golf sort of lunacy. That's how I occupy uh, most of my time from hopefully April till into October often. But uh, once that's gone, can't do that unless I go indoors. Like, of course, I can still go to the golf dome or I can go do some virtual golf, but it's not, uh, I, I don't do it nearly as often. So what I'll often do is I'll just, I like to kind of just sort of fall into YouTube or do research on whatever, whether I'm trying to look up golf tips or I just want to look up something I want to buy. Like uh, I want to get a new Bluetooth speaker. So I tend to, I like to kind of research things. I actually tend to over research things to the point where I can't make a decision on which <laughs> item I want to buy. Because <laughs> actually, You actually end up talking yourself out of buying anything. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can't make up my mind. But um, what I've come to, to learn is I really like, I don't have a computer at home. I've, I, I don't have a laptop. I don't have a desktop. I just have my phone. And for a while that was fine. But since the pandemic began, I spend so much time on my phone that when it comes time to just do things for my own recreation, I can't even be bothered. I just I start scrolling and then I just put my phone down like I can't look at this stupid thing anymore. So I need to get a computer (laughs) so I can get back to over researching things. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. We are hoping to hear from another M, Mercedes, Mercedes Stevenson, uh, set to join us from Ottawa this morning as many of the horn-honking demonstrators who brought Ottawa to a near standstill showed no signs of budging Sunday as parliamentarians, businesses, and school administrators were left wondering when the usual rhythm of the frazzled national capital would resume. Yeah, we know that uh, many of those uh, in Ottawa have zero intention of going anywhere right now. And several criminal investigations are also underway into actions, including the desecration of monuments during the ongoing protest of government-imposed vaccine mandates and COVID-19 restrictions, Ottawa police said yesterday. So we're waiting to hear from Mercedes Stevenson, Brett. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mercedes is, of course, Global News Ottawa bureau chief and the host of the National Political Affairs program, The West Block. And there were so many, so many things to see over the weekend, uh, you know, and so much information to to dive into and to and to to investigate. It was almost impossible to to keep up with everything that was coming out of Ottawa over the weekend. How did how did how did you manage or did did you uh, did you indulge? You know what? I believe we've got Mercedes Stevenson on the line now. Mercedes, are you there? I'm here. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Mercedes Stevenson is Global News' Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the National Political Affairs Program, The West Block. So, Mercedes, uh, Parliament set to return today. What's the situation in Ottawa this morning? Well, I'm uh, looking out my window right now, and I can tell you I'm several blocks back from Parliament on one of the main stretches through Ottawa, and there are semis parked all the way down my street, uh, and they've been there since I got up when it was pitch dark this morning. So organized plan to be in place to block traffic. Um, initially, all three lanes were blocked, and that was clearly a problem. I watched an ambulance trying to get through that couldn't. It had to go down a side street. It looks like they've now cleared one lane, possibly for emergency vehicles. Um, 
Um, I, maybe, <laughs> maybe commuters. I haven't seen anyone else driving down it yet. Um, but there's no sign this protest is lifting anytime soon as Parliament prepares to return. And it is certainly snarling things for parliamentarians trying to go to work in person, although uh, Ottawa is small. You could walk to work likely if you live downtown. But where it's having, frankly, a far larger impact is not on politicians or the prime minister, but on people who live in Ottawa. Uh, if you live downtown, it is extremely difficult to drive anywhere, to get anywhere. Local businesses have all shut down for the most part. Um, and so that's created a real challenge for folks and a growing sense of frustration as we are now into day four. Uh, and it's, it's quieter so far this morning, but the previous three days, I can tell you it has been very loud semi-truck horns and one truck that has a train whistle on it going off for hours and hours and hours. And it's really having an impact on the residents of downtown um, who aren't members of the government. So I think you're going to see increasing pressure on the Ottawa police and on the Ottawa mayor to do something in terms of enforcement. Parliament set to return today, Mercedes. Obviously, this has gone beyond, you know, the the original pretext, at least publicly, with regard to uh, these protesters uh, making their way to Ottawa against the vaccine mandate for Canadian truck drivers. There's way more to it than that. What, what, What other changes do these protesters say they want? Well, this is where it gets challenging because it changes depending on who you're talking about. It's attracted a, a wide range of folks. Some were telling our crews they were just up there because they, they don't like being locked down. They think it's time for a change. It was an opportunity to essentially see other people socialize, be outside. There was sort of a festive atmosphere at large parts of it. Um, and others have a very different agenda. For example, Patrick King, who is one of the organizers and has a history uh, in the past with far-right movements, says they're not leaving until the Liberals and Justin Trudeau are out of power. Um, well, they were democratically elected, and you may not like them, but I don't think they're going to be abdicating anytime soon. So the question really becomes, what are the demands? What's reasonable? Even with the basic demand they started with of getting rid of that vaccine mandate for truckers, Justin Trudeau made it very clear he's not considering that. Um, and even if he did, frankly, Joe Biden has the same rule in place going into the United States. So it wouldn't necessarily do all that much. But what you're seeing here is a lot of frustration from folks who have been under COVID rules for a long, long time. Most people just want to go back to their normal lives. But there is obviously concern about some of the fringe elements that have been attaching themselves to the protest and trying to take advantage of it. And we only have about 30 seconds left, Mercedes. But do we have a good idea of just how many protesters found their way to Parliament Hill? Oh, it's a good question. We're really still trying to figure out. It's thousands for sure, thousands and thousands. Um, it's varied from day to day. We don't know how many of them showed up one day, but not another day to get a final count. Uh, but it's far larger than anything I have ever seen in 11 years of covering politics in Ottawa. And to me, what's significant is not the number just as much as how long this is going on. Typically, we see a one-day protest. This is now day four. Global's Mercedes Stevenson, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Thank you. He says he's retired. We'll just have to take his word for it, I guess, Greg. Yeah, Bob Irving, some guy we know who knows a thing or two about sports, joins us now on the sport on the start. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, I have to say. I'm trying to figure out where to begin this morning. How about the NFL? They do, they do it again. Two incredibly entertaining championship games, including one, one in overtime, Bob where the team didn't get the ball first and actually won that game. And that game Mm -hmm. was won by a head coach who used to wear blue and gold. And uh, just to add one more layer to this discussion, he isn't the only CFL connection to the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Go. Well, there you go. That Zach Taylor is the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals who were down 21-3 at halftime to Kansas City. I was watching the game with Ed Tate, and we figured it was over. Uh, it wasn't halftime. It was 21 to three. And then Cincinnati scored late to make it 21, 10 at halftime. Uh, we figured it might turn into a route, but anything but as Cincinnati came back to upset the mighty chiefs and Patrick Mahomes uh, in overtime. But Zach Taylor is the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals and the 2007 gray cup game, which the blue bombers lost to Toronto. You'll remember Kevin Glenn got hurt in the East final. Ryan Dinwiddie had to play quarterback for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the other two quarterbacks on the Bomber roster for that 2007 Great Cup game were Zach Taylor, 
who is now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, and Cliff Kingsbury, who is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And here's one more CFL connection. Uh, Joe Burrow, the quarterback of Cincinnati, the brilliant young quarterback of Cincinnati, his dad, Jim, played five years in the CFL, three of them with Montreal, then with Ottawa, and I think with Edmonton from 1977 to 1981. So there are some connections to the Canadian Football League. Re, the Cincinnati Bengals, heading off to the Super Bowl to play the L.A. Rams, who beat the San Francisco, Greg, as you say, in another exciting game, 20-17. to 17. And For me, the key thing in that game was Matthew Stafford, the quarterback of the Rams, has finally attained some legitimacy as a quarterback, and, and it hasn't been his fault. He spent all those years with the Detroit Lions, terrible Detroit teams, and everybody thought he was a really good quarterback, a championship-caliber quarterback, but he never had a team around him that was good enough. Well, now he's with the Rams, and they are good enough, and he was outstanding yesterday. He threw for over 300 yards, and uh, they beat San Francisco 20-17. to 17. So you're going to have the L.A. Rams playing at home in the Super Bowl against the upstart Cincinnati Bengals. So it took 55 years for a team to play a Super Bowl in their own home stadium. Now we will see such a thing for a second consecutive season as the Rams will be the NFC representative. They they got to be the favorite here, yeah? Well, they'd be the favorite, Brett, regardless of where the game was being played. Uh, Kansas City was favored, quite heavily favored, to beat Cincinnati yesterday, and it didn't work out. And the Rams will be favored to win the Super Bowl simply because people see them as a superior team, but also because they're playing at home. That'll just add a little bit of an extra edge to them. So uh, no doubt the the betting line will favor the Rams uh, fairly significantly against Cincinnati, although the Bengals have certainly gained more respect uh, these last two or three weeks than anybody had for them, despite the fact they had a pretty good regular season. Okay, we could go on and on because it's an intriguing matchup and and uh, yeah. we've got two weeks to, to set up Super Bowl. Let's talk about the Jets here, Bob. Big win Saturday afternoon. Eric Comrie plays and gets his first start since December 10th and came up big as the Jets snapped their six-game losing streak. A 16-save third period went a long yeah. way in helping the Jets secure the critical two points. Here's my question for you, Mr. Irving, will Comrie get the start tomorrow night in Philadelphia, the Jets' last game before the All-Star break? Well, I'd be surprised if he did. Uh, I don't know if he will or not, and he certainly played well. Greg, I watched the game from beginning to end. I'd like to see the Jets as a team play that way a little more often because it was very helpful to their goaltender. They played one of their best games in, in a long, long time, and Comrie was very good for a kid who hasn't played for five or six weeks. But I don't know. I'd uh, be surprised if Lowry sets uh, Mr. Hellebuck down tomorrow night. I'm not sure that would go over well with Connor Hellebuck. Not that you, you know, should do what, you know, what the player wants necessarily. If as a coach you think it's the right thing to do. But no, back to your question. I'd be very surprised if they didn't go back to Hellebuck tomorrow night. And as far as uh, CFL. Free agency on the horizon, Bob. A report out of Vancouver suggests that uh, the Lions are going to make Blue Bomber receiver Kenny Lawler an offer he isn't likely to refuse. But uh, we thought that free agency didn't start until next week. Well, it doesn't, but they're in what they call now a negotiating period where teams can talk to players who are free agents. And it's a bit of a joke, really. I mean, you can you can talk to a player anytime you want if you know he's going to become a free agent. And the league's not really going to do anything about it, so... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions do make a big pitch for Lawler, although they've already re-signed Lucky Whitehead, one of their receivers, to about $200,000 a year. They just re-signed Brian Burnham, another one of their top receivers, and he would get big dollars. So I don't know how much money they have to pay receivers. The one thing they do have is extra cash because their quarterback, Mike Riley, retired. So his contract goes off the books. Nathan Rourke, who they've already named the number one quarterback, wouldn't be making nearly as much as Michael Riley was. So they do have some extra cash to spend. I'm not sure why they feel they need three marquee uh, receivers. They have two already. But, uh, you know, Kenny Lawler, I'm sure if they do make this offer, would find it enticing. It'd be closer to his home in California. I know the Bombers would like to keep him, and they've made him a very substantial offer, and they're just waiting for his decision. So the Bombers are going to lose. Some of their top players, they just are. They can't afford to keep them all. Uh, I know Lawler is a real priority for them, but you can only go so far in paying these guys. 
before you've kind of broken your, your system on your payroll. So we'll see how that plays out. But I, I would think other teams in the league would have a tremendous interest in Kenny Lawler, too, as good as he is. I want to say one more thing about the NFL, you guys, and the power that the National Football League has. One of their wild card games a couple of weeks ago drew an audience of 41 million people. And I read a story the other day of the 100 top viewed television shows in the U.S. in 2021, the 100 top viewed television shows. And this is kind of on standard TV, not on some of the streaming services. 75 of the top 100 were NFL games. (laughs) that just speaks to the power of the National Football League and the, the level of interest in that league in the United States is as high as it's ever been. And it also speaks to the fact that people aren't watching, you know, their TV on kind of standard ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox like they used to. But imagine that, 75 of the top 100 view programs were NFL games. Something else. We appreciate your insight, Bob. Uh, we'll let you get back to whatever it is you're doing for a hobby these days. You want to weigh in on the hobby question before we let you run? Well, I'm watching a fair bit of TV, uh, following the sports scene quite closely. I'm watching a lot of curling this week because I'm a big curling fan. So nothing very exciting, but uh, I am filling my days in a quite a satisfying way. <laughs> and you got your your morning walk in, I trust? I did. It was a beautiful morning, too. It's funny how when it gets up gets up to minus 13 or 14, it feels like a heat wave. <laughs> Fair enough. It does feel pretty nice outside right now. Uh, the calm before the storm, so to speak. Uh, Bob, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, as always. Okay, you guys. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. A reminder that in our next segment, we're going to give away that $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your text messages on your hobbies. What is your hobby? What are you into these days? Greg, do you see Rudy's text? It's a a coincidental. I was actually just reading it on the text line and I was going to copy it, paste it into our script, and you're, as usual, two steps ahead of me. Rudy says, my hobbies. I buy aluminum fishing boats i redo the hole inside get the motor gone over i use it for a while then i sell the boat to grandpas or young families so that they can go uh, family fishing without breaking the bank or or needing a loan i always look for another project i've gone through get this 45 boats since 2009 rudy what a tremendous first of all just the hobby and then what you do and how you parlay it and how you give back to the community that way absolutely fantastic we were in selkirk for curling yesterday brett and all the fishing huts on the red river were uh, just a sight to behold so uh fishing such a big big part of the of the conversation and the and the uh, social fabric of manitoba we will pick our winning text in our next segment and the reason we're talking about hobbies today. Now, the Global News and CJOB Health Series, presented by Body Measure. Is because we are continuing our two-week Global News and 680 CJOB Health Series on mental health, and today's focus is on hobbies and the benefits they can have on our well-being. Many Manitobans like to hunker down during the winter, Brett, but many Manitobans, like you, get outside. They love to get outside for winter activities, skating, skiing, and now we've got the ice cycles, etc. But our next guest, one of his favorite hobbies is quite simply winter itself. On social media, he's known as Frosty Face Manitoba. His name is Chris Beauvillain, and he joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Chris, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you? We're doing great. We're doing great, man. And uh, for those unfamiliar with Frosty Face, why don't you maybe just sort of refresh your memory. Tell us just how much do you love winter? Sure. So uh, Frosty Face is uh, just a, a pretty lighthearted uh, photo project where I post uh, people smiling in winter and, you know, people getting frosty. But I really uh, I try and include everyone and everything. So I've even got pictures of uh, squirrels on there, uh, dogs, whatever people want to send in. But just really these nice, warm Manitoba smiles enjoying winter. Chris, there's sort of a winter revolution happening in, in Manitoba. Maybe we've just not been open to it or not knowledgeable about it. But would you agree that over the last decade or so, and I know we've had this discussion with you on air in the past, just about the way that we are treating 
winter. We're not turning our back on it. We're embracing it. We're finding things to do that maybe we weren't doing elsewise. And are you part of the part of the leader of this revolution? Uh, I think that's a little generous to say I'm a leader, but uh, definitely part of it. I think uh, you're right. In the last uh, decade or so, there's really been a change. Uh, but in the last two years, it's been quite something. Um, last year, everyone was, uh, you know, at home. And I think it was a, a much different time last year that no one had anywhere to go. So everyone just stepped out the front door. And I have never seen the city like this before. I mean, everywhere I went, I started going to different areas of town and there were builds and skating rinks and people out everywhere. And I think people really kind of fell in love with uh, the province and with winter and where we are. And it's happened again this year. It's It's been quite magical to see the amount of community builds out there everywhere this winter. Well, and there's uh, I think there's a lot of focus on the river trail from the Forks that goes down to Hugo and goes around the other side on the Red River. You're over in Wolseley, if memory serves, and I think you've, you say that you've got your own trail on the river, right, your community? Yeah, so last year it really exploded, and this year there's a, a group that formalized to try and sort of facilitate this every year. Uh, and it's the Wolseley uh, Winter Wonderland. And there's art projects going up. There's skating trails. Uh, this year, new, thanks to uh, another amazing community just west of us, Burkevale. There's a cross-country ski trail that now connects Wolseley to Assiniboine Park. Uh, there's so much going on. And, and if you're down there on the weekend, uh, anything from people, you know, chatting around a fire, roasting marshmallows, uh, to people building, um, you know, sco- snow sculptures, everything's happening. Kids tobogganing down the, the riverbanks. It's, it's pretty incredible to see. Well, you know, I, I mentioned and we mentioned the fact that maybe we'd ignored winter for far too long and, and some of us didn't embrace it. But also now this connection it's being created with the rivers, you know, this is a part of the city and a perspective of the city is so incredible. And unless you've got a boat in the summertime, it's uh, pretty tough to see more than uh, a handful of sections of the city from the river. And in the wintertime, boy, oh boy, we are really improving our relationship with the rivers. Fair to say, Chris? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I've always said that, uh, you know, winter, people grumble about the roads, but really the reality is the winter freezes over our rivers and our lakes, and we just have access to so much more terrain. You just need a pair of boots, and that's it. Uh, and it's uh, it, it's really great. And what's amazing in Winnipeg right now is that, you're right, it's connecting all of these different neighborhoods as well. So I can, you know, being able to ski uh, out my front door to um, Assiniboine Park, I pass a couple of different communities and I'm just seeing tons of people out on the river. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And you're right, you don't need a boat. All you need is just um, uh, a pair of boots, a pair of mitts, and uh, you know, a little bit of effort to take that first step out the door. How does your love of winter and winter activities help your mental health? Well, the... The, you know, this has been sort of a long time in coming through Frosty Face, this project where I've really tried to embrace winter, but it's been really transformative. And when I see snow, I no longer say, oh, you know, I grumble at the snow. I get excited because I think of all the builds. When I see minus 20, I don't say, oh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to hunker down. I get excited because I know that our rivers are freezing and that skating trails are, are being uh, created. And so I, I see winter as this huge opportunity to explore our city, and it's a very unique thing. I would say people um, all over the world have seen a palm tree, but very few statistically have, have thrown a snowball. And we really, we're lucky in the city to have such an amazing opportunity in winter. Uh, and the result of this is that winter for me is the shortest season. I am already stressing out that I'm not going to get everything in that I want to get in this year. Wow, you you really are an ambassador for this, Chris. Uh, just uh, before we let you run here, how how do we get involved with and how does one participate in the Frosty Face movement on social media? Because this is a this is a friendly place that we we want to direct people to. No controversy <laughs> here at Frosty Face, right, Chris? Yeah, well, I try and uh, I try and keep it, uh, you know, just about the smiles, Manitoba smiles. Yeah, if people want to get in, involved, all you have to do is just check it out. Uh, it lives on Instagram right now, and it's at Frosty Face Manitoba. And if you want to get involved, all it takes is just a smile. So just, just snap a smile and send it to me, and I'll post you up. Um, I, I believe I have the largest collection of uh, smiling Frosty Faces. I might also have the only collection of Frosty Faces, <laughs> but... It's, uh, we're, we're up at around 800 smiling faces. Uh, and my, my goal with this is really that every day 
if you want to see a, a smiling face, no matter what the weather is outside, just check us out and, uh, you know, contribute to it or, or just, just even to take a look. That's all I need. Oh, and Chris, before we let you go, what's, where's the access point to the, the trail, uh, the Wolseley River Trail? So that's something as a community we're all working toward. Uh, the main access points right now with uh, decent access, so you're not scrambling down the banks, are Dominion and Arlington. Uh, Telfer is going to come pretty soon, but if you go to Dominion Street or Arlington, um, there are stairs pretty much going the whole way down. Right on. Frosty Face, Manitoba, a.k.a. Chris Bovaline, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Frosty Face, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. We're asking you for your hobbies at 204-780-6868. What are your hobbies uh, for a chance to win? $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. And I'm just seeing Rick, uh, Rick Fair. He says one of my hobbies is playing with some of my childhood toys. They're battery operated and they still work perfectly. I take them out on occasion to keep them in prime working order. And he sent us a picture saying these were Christmas gifts some 50 years ago. I see there's a, there's a Ford Mustang, a little motorized Ford Mustang. There's a I can't quite zoom in close enough in this, but there's a, I think it says a Sikorsky helicopter. A Sikorsky helicopter, yes. Okay. And, uh, did you, and a did front you have end one? motor or a bulldozer there, it looks like. Correct. Also yeah. on the line at 204-780-6868, Jan says, good morning. I was listening as I was driving to work. Now that I have arrived and am parked, I thought I would send in my hobby. I make chocolates in many different shapes and sizes. I have around a thousand molds in total. That's neat. And I also have naughty molds and in various sizes. And when I make the larger sizes, they are hollow and um, and, I, and uh, they, they, they get filled up. And I'll just leave it at that, Jan. <laughs> oh, my, Jan. Um, but you know what? We're going to go with Rudy for the win. We just read Rudy's text, uh, but uh, we both really liked this one. So go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I buy aluminum fishing boats and I redo the entire inside. I get the motor going. I use it for a while and then I sell the boat and motor to grandpas or young families so they can go fishing as a family without breaking the bank or mortgage in order to buy a boat. I always look for another project and I've gone through 45 boats since 2009. Absolutely fantastic, Rudy. Congratulations. You are our winner today. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.